Well, good evening to all. So, in case you haven't noticed, um, I, I have a hard time preaching 30 minutes. I'm sure you guys haven't noticed that at all. So, it's not a point, but... No, we had a great time Monday night with the leaders, and we read a chapter out of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and uh, really spoke to us. It was just a powerful time, and and uh, the Lord brought to mind that it's not the singing, it's not the preaching. When you read the book of Acts, it wasn't about some great worship band that followed Paul around. It wasn't even... You know, we have a couple of sermons. We've got Peter's sermons. We've got a sermon of Paul's in the book of Acts. But what you do see on every page is the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and that is the, the, really the, the key, right? We, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just ask you that some of you guys who don't pray on Wednesday nights would pray. And let's keep it focused on the passage I know sometimes people want to start praying for people at work or neighbors. or We're not going to do that. We're going to try to pray in the theme of what we've covered in the verses tonight. That's the idea. So if God's speaking to us about, I don't know, forgiveness, let's, let's, let's center them on forgiveness. I'm not saying you can't pray other things if the Lord leads you. And then... Um, you want to pray short to medium prayers and pray twice, pray three times rather than one lengthy prayer where we all sort of quit listening after three or four minutes as you're going on. So those are a couple of tips, but I really ask that you just jump right in and pray. The, the best thing that can happen if two people start praying at the same time and you, you're sort of stumbling over each other, that is good. It wasn't like, okay, was it me or him not in the spirit? Because we collided in prayer. No, no. Not, not, not the case at all. Um, just go for it and uh, press in on the Lord. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, we, w when I first came and we had the COVID time of things, you know, we didn't all have to get up and go to work the next day and stuff. It, you know, we were... This is about all we did all week long outside of maybe going to the grocery store or the doctor. And we, we gave it time. We had a good teaching and we gave it time. God's spirit moved. There was a few Wednesday nights that it was really substantial, the Holy Spirit moving uh, on these Wednesday nights. So I'd love to see that again. Well, I'm eating up my 30 minutes. Um, well, last time we were together... Um, we actually left off on verse 15. But the end of the chapter 3, it goes in from verse 16 to 18, repeating himself that you're going to go tell the people, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you, and uh, I, I surely have visited with you and uh, seen what's happened in Egypt. And it's sort of a saying it again, I've seen your affliction and, and I'm taking you to the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, and so forth. Notice in verse 18, though, then they will heed your voice. And then you shall come to the elders and tell them what the Lord has said. Uh, God of the Hebrews has met with you, and so forth. And then in verse 19, he says, now, I'm just going to tell you up front. 
this is going to be a difficult time. You're going to go to Pharaoh. He is not going to like it. And it won't be until after a mighty outstretched hand of God that he finally will let you go. And in that day, when Pharaoh finally lets you go, I want the women to go to their Egyptian neighbors that are nearby. That's interesting because, you know, back in Genesis, it seemed like all the Hebrews were in the land of Goshen and separated from the Egyptians uh, geographically. But now it seems like in many countries I've been to, you can have some amazing gated off neighborhoods that are as nice as anything in the United States you can find, sometimes even better. I mean, uh, exclusive homes. And they have a wall around them and literally connected to that wall are shanty towns. And the people from the shanty towns come in and do their, you know, work for the people inside um, the Egyptian compounds or in the compounds of different countries. I wonder if that's what was happening there. So they said, you're already going to do their laundry or you're their maid or the house cleaner or whatever. You go in there and you ask these people, the Egyptians you know, and you're going to take out of there all of the spoil. Now we come to chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or, notice, listen to my voice. I'll ask you to go back up to verse 18 of chapter 3. They will heed your voice, God said. So it's not going to be an issue. But, but, but just suppose, let's do some hypotheticals here, that they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So, so Moses is thinking this, going, okay, I haven't been around for 40 years. This 80-year-old guy shows up, and he sees the Hebrews, and, and he says, hey, God spoke to me. Well, I'm in a burning bush. Oh, well, really? <laughs> Should have, that was a short conversation. No, the bush didn't burn. And uh, yeah, it, it, Moses is going, this, this is not a really great story. Um, I don't think I would believe it. <laughs> if somebody showed up to me saying, God spoke to me and here's what he told me to tell you to do, um, I think I would doubt it as well. And so Moses is going, this is really flimsy. Well, in verse two, so the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. Now the rod, the shepherds, they had a staff. So don't confuse the two. And then they had a rod. A rod was about three feet long. And typically it was made out of some kind of wood that's really hard. And they would get it and get oil on it. And eventually through their sweat and oil over time, that rod is like a pipe. It is like a metal pipe. And they would have it with a band attached around their arm, and they just carried it all the time, the rod and the staff. As David says, they comfort me. Because the rod, you know, could hit the wolf, but also they were really good with throwing those things. And they could uh, do some serious damage with those rods. So Moses is there with his staff, but he also has his rod in his hand. And, and he says, what is that? Oh, that's... Every shepherd has that. That's a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. 
I can't wait to see the video of this uh, when we get to heaven because it seems like he's quite reluctant. Um, it was some kind of snake that, that he was very much afraid of. But yet Moses, at the command of God, we see him obeying God. He reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. So you think, man, touching that tail, that thing would coil back and bite you or whatever. But Moses obeys, he grabs it, and as soon as he touches the tail, it turns back to the rod that he's very familiar with. Now, just to, to let you know, in verse 20, we're not going to get there tonight, it's no longer called the rod. It's called the rod of God. <laughs> God's rod. From now on, this is no longer Moses' rod. This is a very famous rod that will end up in the Ark of the Covenant. But also, it is the rod of God. And in verse 5, that they may believe the Lord your God, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he says, hey, um, here you go. This, this is, is this what you're thinking, Moses? Do you, do you think this will be helpful? Now, right away, you sort of are struck because, you know, when we think about snakes, especially up to this point in the history, um, it has not been a good thing. It was the snake that Satan chose to bring the fall of man. So really, the serpent has sort of been the image of, of the devil. But... In a more general sense, God is directing things, saying, no, it's not necessarily specific the devil, but it's, it's more representing evil or, even more generally, sin. And so where do we see this going? We, we do see the serpent representing Satan, for sure. Matter of fact, in Revelation 12, 9 and 22, it says that great dragon has cast us out, that serpent of old called the devil, Satan, who deceives the world and he was cast to earth. His angels were cast out with him. But we see in Numbers another strange story where God once again told them to um, focus on a serpent, which is weird. You may remember the children of Israel in Numbers 21 were murmuring, complaining, and at God, at Moses, and, and God allowed these snakes that evidently God was keeping them underground. That's a pretty awesome thing to realize God's protecting us when we don't know he's protecting us. Later, we get to heaven, we're going to go, man, God was blessing me here, taking care of this, protecting me there, protecting my family. God was, <laughs> there's a thousand things a day the Lord was doing that I was just completely unaware of. If I had known even a couple of them, I'd just be going, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that. Thank you. It, we just wouldn't have time to live, would we? We would just be in a continual praise service. But God had been protecting them from these snakes. But now that they're complaining, the Lord withdraws his hand and the snakes come out of the earth and the desert part where they were at and start biting people. And immediately they die because they're very poisonous. And the people repent. They said, yep, we were murmuring. We were complaining. We shouldn't have been doing that. Help us. And in Numbers 21, verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. Interesting. Set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who has bitten, if he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Later, we're going to see bronze as the medal of judgment. And he put it on the pole, and as it was, a serpent had bitten anyone. He would look at the bronze serpent. He, he lived. Now, you sort of scratch your head going, a bronze serpent? Oh, just doesn't sit right with me, you know? It just, 
I, I don't like the fact that God wanted Moses to make a serpent and they're all to look at this serpent. It just seems satanic almost, evil to me. That, that they're to look at the serpent and be healed rather than looking at the beauty of God or an angel or love something lovely, not a serpent, a fiery serpent on a pole. And so we're sort of left scratching our heads until Jesus teaches on this. And in John chapter 3, when he's trying to describe to Nicodemus what it means to be born again and how that works, he just out and out doesn't tell the story, just gives us the piece of the puzzle that had been missing for thousands of years. And once we had that piece of the puzzle, it now had its meaning. And what's that piece of puzzle in John 3, verse 14 and 15? Jesus says to Nicodemus at night, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wow. You see this pole, I believe personally, it was the flagpole of the tribe of Judah. When we go through that passage, you'll see it later. But the serpent there was representing sin. And not white sin, not sin with a little s, but ugly serpent, fiery sin. Who was that serpent on the pole? It was he who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us. As they looked to Jesus, the one who now is full of sin, our sin, and the Father looks away, and Jesus cries, oh my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And darkness comes over all the earth and the earth shakes. Wow. We realize that ugly, hideous, gross, deadly thing was Jesus took all of that on himself until we couldn't see Jesus. All we could see was the big blob of sin. But now... When we look to Jesus on the cross, having conquered our sin, that's all we got to do is look. See, that was the interesting thing in the story. You get bit, you just look. Look in the direction where it's at. No poison. You're, you're fine. Boy, that's a really great cure, isn't it? Oh, I just got bit again. I'll just look again. I bit again and just look again. These things are not, I'm not scared of them anymore. I don't care if they bite me. Because I got the bronze serpent on the pole. All I have to do is look. Of course, you had to believe to look, right? If you were to say, oh, looking at some bronze serpent on a pole is not going to do any good. I don't care who says it. It wouldn't have been mixed with faith. It wouldn't have done any good. But because they knew they would die, they did look. And they were healed. In the same way, how does a man become born again? Not of works, not of ourselves. We just look to Jesus and live, right? That author and the finisher of our faith, we just look to him, hear his voice. Wow. Well, then we see that that rod again, a very common instrument. What's in your hand? 
just a regular, common, dumb rod, a diamond. You can buy them for a penny at the store. You know, there's, there's nothing significant, nothing very unusual. It's just a common old rod. Okay, take that rod now and throw it to the ground. And God uses it mightily. Later, David, what's that in your hand? Well, it's just a sling. Okay, take that sling and you're going to kill the giant. Samson, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's a jawbone of a donkey. Okay, that will be your tool to deliver Israel from the Philistines. What's in that in your hand, little boy? Some loaves and fishes. Okay, will you give it to me? Yep. Okay, he breaks it for the multitude. God is not needing anything from us other than what's in our hand. But what's in my life is ordinary and blasé and nothing special. It doesn't have to be. Once you give it unto God, the ordinary can be used mightily in his hand. Well, moving down to verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, and then he took it out, and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Again, this must have been terrifying to Moses because the one thing that people were scared of at this time was leprosy. Because it was a slow, rotting painful, disgusting, smelly, oozing, horrible way to die. And as soon as you saw the blight, just a little sore on your body somewhere, and it was identified to be leprosy, you're very contagious. You've got to get away for life. Well, can't I hug my kids? By? Nope. Can I give my wife one more kiss? Nope. Can't I? Nope. You've you got to isolate yourself and be gone. So Moses, no doubt, this was a scary thing to have had leprosy covering his hand completely white. Leprosy, the sores of leprosy, the white powdery substance looking thing. We're not going to go in that tonight, but in Leviticus 13 through 14, and by the way, if you want to go to the Words of Encouragement Act uh, or go to our website and look at archive teachings of Brian, you can go listen to that if you want. We'll get there in a few weeks, a few months, um, Leviticus 13 and 14, but you'll see that the way they are to cure leprosy, identify and cure it, is very clear a picture of Christ and the cross. Well, we skip on down to verse 8 now. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So the Lord is saying, Okay, I'm going to give you several levels, and we'll see. We'll see how unbelieving their hearts are. We'll see how hard their hearts are. You know, maybe the serpent, that's all that's needed, probably was. But we're going to see that Satan has power too, doesn't he? And sort of neutralizes the serpent, and sort of neutralizes the hand of leprosy. And so they end up having to go to the third sign uh, because of these demonic magicians of Pharaoh. But anyway, 
Here's one more sign. They will believe the latter. Now we're going to discover about signs and wonders and miracles. It may seem overwhelming. Oh, I believe this miracle happened. I believe there's no way I would ever have a heart of doubt again after seeing that miracle. But you know what? It won't last. (laughs) The faith of a miracle is very limited. We see it through the Old Testament. We see it through the New Testament. It can, seeing a miracle is never equal to hearing the gospel message and having faith in the gospel message. A matter of fact, in, in Mark uh, 16, he says, yeah, these signs are great when we're going out to preach to those who would believe. So going into a culture that doesn't know anything about Jesus. And he says, these signs in Mark 16 will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So Jesus says, yep, the signs, they're good for evangelism and and good for believers uh, when they're out preaching the gospel to those who have not heard it before. But there's clear limitations. It doesn't create a true saving faith. It creates some kind of temporary uh, belief. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you might remember When Jesus was being tempted by Satan, Satan tried to get him to do a miracle. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and and God's angels will have to bear you up like the scripture said. And then everybody can see, uh, you know, when you're falling from that uh, very high place and angels grabbing you and they'll all see it. Oh yeah, that would be a great sight to help you out, Jesus, so people will believe in you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Do not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus, later on in Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him saying, well, show us a sign from heaven. (laughs) And Jesus replied to that in Matthew 16, 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for he left them and departed. And then later, Jesus says to the place where his headquarters was, Capernaum, to the Sea of Galilee, where he did most of his ministry. These people had seen, man, big miracles. Big things happen all around the Sea of Galilee, repeatedly for three years. But yet, they did not believe, even though they saw these amazing miracles. Oh, they believed in the moment when they saw the miracles, but they were very short-lived. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-one, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon. If you've got to know the history, they were very wicked countries that God destroyed because of their wickedness. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So these really wicked nations that God had to destroy, he says, man, if they had seen a tiny fraction of what you have seen, we would have saw them not come unto judgment. They would have believed And then he continues on now to Capernaum, his headquarters. Those who were exalted to the heaven, he is brought down to Hades. 
For if the mighty works were done in you, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Wow, again, if they had seen, the, man, Sodom and Gomorrah, these are wicked, wicked culture. But he said, had they seen the miracles that you guys have got to see these three years of ministry? They would have repented. But your hearts are harder than Sodom and Gomorrah. Your heart of unbelief is greater than that of Tyre and Sidon. Now only God can know such things. But nevertheless, we, we, we can just say, if seeing great miracles equals saving faith, then Jesus wouldn't have been saying this. So again, you think, oh, a miracle, one miracle, cure me for life from my doubt. Untrue. It quickly wanes, and then you say, one more miracle will do. Just two. And it will wane as well. But when you hear the gospel and believe the gospel, what did Jesus say to Thomas? Put your finger here in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Blessed are you that you see and believe, but more blessed are those who aren't going to be able to stick their finger in my hand and their hand in my side. More blessed are those who don't see the resurrected Jesus bodily and yet believe. They have a greater, more pure faith than what you're having right now, Thomas. So in this way, interesting that we discover that these people that come out of Egypt, oh my gosh, talking about seeing signs and wonders and miracles, for 40 years, they got manna from heaven. For 40 years, they got this rock that followed them around. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us. And the water would come out of this rock. It's like, man, we just walked three days, and there's that rock again. And there's water coming out of the rock. They drank of that rock, which was Christ. The manna was Christ. But yet Hebrews 4.2 tells us, Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, the New Testament believers, well, the Old Testament. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who, what? Heard it. So again here, um, Moses is, is going to be thinking, Man, I've got my rod. <laughs> Man, I've... <laughs> This is awesome. I got my hand turned to leprosy and back. And, and now the water turning to blood, as we're going to see here. Um, but it is not going to cause Pharaoh to repent. It's not going to cause his wicked magicians to believe. It really has not the intended effect, as we're going to see. But in verse 9 here, And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry ground and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So I don't understand this one completely other than the, the, the water, the Nile. They worship the Nile. They were afraid of, of anything happening to the Nile because that was their life source. Without the Nile... They had no civilization there in Egypt. They had to have it as big and as flourishing and as healthy as possible because everything in the Nile and came out of the Nile and grew around the Nile and the water from the Nile, um, boy, to keep that thing pure 
was absolutely essential. But again, it is interesting, the blood and the water. When we look through the scriptures, we come to John 19, 34 to 35. But one of the soldiers pierced him, Jesus, in the side with a spear. And immediately what happened? Blood and water came out. Now, what is John's reaction to that? John is there with Jesus. And he's there next to his mother, Mary. And John was there to the end. And, and after they were confident Jesus had died, after that fact still, when he stuck the spear in, this flooding of water and blood came out of Jesus. And what was John's reaction to that? Look at the very next verse, verse 35. He who has been, he who has seen, and he who has seen has testified. I'm telling you, I saw this. This is a fact. And his testimony is true, the apostle John. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. He's saying this is a clear, powerful sign. When blood and water came out, Jesus, I mean, later John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6 through 8 says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And these are the three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Not sure that I can explain all of that to you. But in the Apostle John's mind, the water and the blood combined was a powerful indicator of the work of the triune God. And in verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, ah, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now Moses is just trying to get out of this. I mean, now he's coming up with some pretty language. He says, what if they don't believe me? Okay, go ahead, Moses. Go back to your, your shepherding, <laughs> die in the wilderness, taking care of those sheep, because you just, man, you, you ace me. I can't, I can't explain what to do if they say I don't believe you. He goes, of course, there's no big deal. Here, boom, 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 boom. Here's some miracles. Well, okay, I'm going to get to the real issue now. I, a few years back, I had this stroke or whatever it was. I just can't talk so well anymore. You, you say, well, maybe Moses was born that way. I, I don't know, but in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, when Stephen's preaching, he says back when Moses was 40, when he first tried to deliver Israel, that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, very educated guy, and was mighty in words and deeds. Wow. But now, 40 years later, at an 80-year-old guy, he is saying, I can't talk eloquently. You know what I think the Lord wanted? Somebody to not talk eloquently. <laughs> I don't think the Lord wanted Pharaoh to be moved by a great orator, by this 
good-looking young guy and strong and and he's got a big sword strapped on and he, you know, opens his mouth and out comes the, the words of Shakespeare and uh, dazzles everybody and, and sways everybody. You know, it's just not our Lord. When Jesus came being born into a manger, when Jesus grew up in Nazareth as a poor carpenter's son and then a carpenter himself, when Philip said, from Nazareth, anywhere but Nazareth, Nazareth, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He was born in a very backwards place that nobody wanted to be honest about and say they were from. You say, well, man, why? why? Because that's his nature. We see in his ministry that the rich, the poor, the sick, no matter what your nationality, nobody had a problem. Nobody was intimidated by Jesus. Nobody was, was put off going, man, he looks such like a king. And, oh, he, he caused me to be intimidated when I see him. And no, they kept him up till three in the morning. No problem. They, they, the, the way he was, he was so gentle and so easy to entreat. And, and this is the nature of God. That's why I think he chose the apostles he chose. Because this is what he, how he wanted it. This is the nature of the Lord. Well, in verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I've had some people be really upset with this verse. So Moses is saying, yep, my mouth just doesn't work very well. And sort of sounds like a birth defect when, when the Lord talks about it in verse 11. But doesn't make it clear why in Acts 7.22, he was so mighty in words if, if that was something that he always had a problem with. But nevertheless, God says, I'm not cheating anybody if they're blind. I'm not cheating anybody if they're crippled. You know, some of the most amazing people the earth has ever seen had handicaps, right? And because they were physically couldn't see, they became an amazing something with the other senses they had, right? Boy, you think of Helen Keller or think of all the musicians that are amazing artists with so many different instruments and singing and, and, the, and the list goes on. So reminds me of that Psalms 139. For you have formed me in my inward parts and covered me in my mother's womb and I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And in verse 12, we'll end there tonight. Now, therefore, go. <laughs> no more excuses. Go, and I will be with your mouth. <laughs> he gets specific, doesn't he? Earlier, he said, I'll be with you. And now he's like, okay, you got a speech problem. I'll be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what you shall say. I love that because I think it was the Lord's design that you got this guy coming to the greatest king on the planet at the time, the great Egyptian ruler. And, and there's Moses, he's got this horrible studying problem. Or he's got this horrible list. Let my people go. I don't know what it would have been like. It was something where he, he felt... Anyway, um, 
<laughs> he, he definitely did not want it to be the, the power of man. Like, I love that when Elijah, when it was his turn to call fire to heaven, he dug a trench and buried that calf in water. When the, he didn't want the people to think it was some freak spark or some magic trick from him. He had that thing so drenched with water. It was God or it was nobody. And it was God. He licked up all the water. In the same way here, it's going to be by the mighty hand of God, not the mighty hand of God and Moses. But the Lord alone will get the glory. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech. Boy, he could have. Paul could have. Or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness. So was Moses. In fear, so was Moses. In much trembling, so was Moses. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. It's exactly what we see in the story of Moses. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And a big amen with that. Uh, well, let, let's not go to questions tonight. Well, actually, let's do it. Anybody have, last week, uh, some people just had comments of things that God spoke to them, and it was very fruitful. And, but there might be a, that tonight. What's God speaking to your heart? Let's concentrate on that. What's jumping out to you guys in this passage here tonight? No, like you said, your fathers never knew me like you're going to know me. <laughs> they knew me as Elohim, God, the Lord God of hosts, but you're going to know me as Yahweh. So there's going to be a real intimacy there. And he did, like Jeremiah. We're going to look at it next week, but so many people had that same very familiar conversations with the Lord. It definitely seems like it's something physical. Yeah, it sounds like he was born with it, but why didn't it affect him when he was 40? Why does it affect him now at 80? Um, but either way, God says, yeah, I, I made your mouth to not work very well. That was, I did that on purpose because I knew one day you would be going before Pharaoh at 80 years old, and I knew a man who was mighty in Egyptian wisdom and mighty indeed, that you would also lean on your own flesh to be mighty in speech. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that. Yep. Could it have been that he 
That's a very good point. Very good point. It could be the to have to go speak Egyptian there, and and uh, been been a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's very very possible. I, I never, I actually never, I've never read that in any commentary. I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very possible. Aaron would be the one speaking, and he would know the Egyptian language, so it ends with getting one. Yes? Hard, yeah, those are just speculations we can't make. Good stuff. Yes, sir. AIDS, maybe? I don't know. I really don't know. Ebola? <laughs> yeah. According to the Biden administration, the coronavirus. But that's another that's another topic though. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, I actually was going to go into that next week. Uh, you know, the, the word miracle is actually not in the Bible. <laughs> we translate it miracles, but it's just a sign. It's, it's, it's basically, I mean, is the entire solar system a miracle? <laughs> is life on planet Earth a miracle? Does the sun and the moon and, and the gravitational pull and, and the oxygen and nitrogen mixture of what we breathe, I mean, everything is a miracle. Our hair factory in our head, our fingernail factory in our hands, uh, the way our body moves, you know, everything's a miracle. So what would, what would be classified as a miracle is the, the normal processes don't happen. They're interrupted. So you would normally sink in water, but with Jesus, he walked on water. You usually have to have enough bread for 5,000 people. You can't just have a couple of loaves of fish and bread and make it enough for 5,000 people. That's, that's unusual. So those are the, those are the things where, where God interrupts the natural. So normally you wouldn't heal from that. Or if you're, you're dead, you don't come back to life. All those things are where God interrupts the natural. Because really, everybody should wake up and, and look at the sky and look at another day and say, this is a miracle. Go stand at the beach and look at the ocean and go, this is a miracle. Look at the stars in the sky going, this is a miracle. <coughs> the miraculous of God, <coughs> excuse me, the miraculous of God is everywhere. And um, it is simply 
interrupting the natural laws that <clears throat> we're looking at as a miracle. For those hearing me, I'm not about to cry. I, uh, I, it's a lozenger that got spicy and went down the wrong pipe. Good stuff, guys. Mm, let's go to prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the sweetness of this evening. We thank you for your presence and your word. And, and our eyes are opening to what you would have us to see and know that we would be the people of God after your own heart, would do all your will. Uh, Lord, it's one thing that I desired of you, David said, and that's to see your beauty in the temple. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. We see your grief and revelation of the Ephesus church who is less desert love or the Laodicean church that's become lukewarm. We, we see that that lack of passion in the marriage, so to speak, can be a very sad thing as there's a drifting away. But Lord, we come now and, and we say, Lord, we're, we're here. We're seeking you. We're drawing near to you while you are near. We're seeking you with all our heart that we could... You would allow us to, to find you and to grab a hold of you and draw near to you. Lord, we need your love. We need your power. We need the work of your spirit in our life, God. We need a, a mighty work to those who are in Egypt and the Rossmore community and throughout Los Alamitos. They're all in Egypt right now that, that we would be used as Moses would be used and see that coming out of the bondage, the Satan, the world, the politics, the, the perversity of Sodom and Gomorrah of our day, Lord, that they're blind and trying to press and knock down the door to, to try to get to the two angels just completely in darkness. But God, you, you said it right there, that they weren't at the end where they couldn't be saved. If the things that you did there in the Galilee were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, that they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Lord, we, we know that it's a miracle every time one of us believe. Do a great work through us, Lord. 